was written by members of our church. This is an original, and the way that Darren says it is that it has the first first anointing on it, meaning that it's not something that somebody else wrote, which is wonderful. I'm not I'm not downing that at all. But this was a song that God breathed through your church to release over us as a body. So it's that first anointing. And I want to make a declaration. I feel I'm sensing what God is saying is that regardless of the challenge or the struggle or the obstacle that you are facing right now, you have a choice in this moment to partner with your destiny that regardless of your past or the challenge or the stop sign in front of you that you determine right now that nothing that comes against me will stop me from fulfilling the reason that God breathed life into my lungs. You are here for a purpose. God ordained that purpose and he knows the end from the beginning. So whatever the challenge is, whatever the struggle is, whatever the obstacle is that you are facing, whether it's outside, whether it's inside, whether it's here, whatever the obstacle that you are facing, it is not a surprise to God. And you get to make the choice as to whether or not that thing is going to take you out and sideline you or whether you are going to determine that no matter what I am not going to not fulfill the purpose that God put me on this earth for and nothing will stop me and cause me to come short of it and if you need to make that decision and make that choice right now whether it's you know things like Bailey was talking about whether you think that financial shortage is trying to take you out if health is trying to take you out if mental battle if fear anxiety worry stress and depression is trying to take you out if suicidal thoughts are trying to take you out God didn't bring you this far to just bring you this far And you might think, well, I don't think I've come. It is like I am barely hanging on. You are hanging on. And there's a reason for it. You're not being taken out. You're not put on the sideline by God. God has a purpose for you and he needs you. (laughs) It might sound harsh, but I'm hearing him say, I need you to suck it up and get on with it. And he doesn't say that without compassion. Because you are too important. You are too important to God's plan for you to give up now. You have not come this far to just come this far. And this is what I, if it's not good yet, God's not done yet. And I want to see the good. I want to see the gooder and gooder and gooder. Right? So I want you to stretch your hand out right now and touch somebody around you in a church appropriate fashion. And if you're watching online, I want you just to stretch your hands toward your device or your screen, whatever you're watching right now. And I declare in the name of Jesus Christ, we will fulfill every purpose that God placed us here on this earth for. We were placed here now for this time for God's purpose. And every breath that we take is a breath that God has provided for us and marked for purpose. And I declare in the name of Jesus 
Jesus Christ that we will not leave one work, one appointment, one divine connection undone, that we will fulfill every purpose that God placed us here for so that when we stand before God, he will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. And if you agree with that, squeeze that person next to you kindly and say, amen. 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 Can you just give God some praise this morning? Yes. Can we, I would like to just say a thank you to our worship team for the work that they put in, their love and their passion. This is so sweet. This is a sweet little offering that was put up here for you, Kirsty. I don't want you to miss it. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Thank y'all. Whew. If I've never met you before, my name is Lynette, and I get to be married to the pastor. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. Uh it's a it's a good job, let me tell you. I remember we were traveling on the road. <laughs> this was younger, but I might do the same thing today anyway. I don't know. We were on the road and traveling and uh Darren was ministering. And we were I remember we were in a sale barn. We had done church in the sale. I don't even know where we were. And this woman comes up to me afterwards. God bless her. And she says, she goes, well, do you sing for your husband? And I said, no, ma'am, I, I don't. And she looked at me rather perplexed and she says, well, do you uh, play the piano? And I said, no, ma'am, I don't. <laughs> Further perplexion you could see on her. And she said, well, do you, you know, what do you do? Like, because I was not musically inclined at all, like what was my purpose in being married to the preacher? And she looked at me and she said, well, what do you do? Deeply concerned for my walk with the Lord, of course. And I said, my job is to keep the pastor happy and I do it well. <laughs> oh, oh, she, <laughs> she spun on her heels and went the other direction. I don't think we were ever invited back there. I'm not really sure. <laughs> anyway, welcome to church. <laughs> Oh man, last week we started a deep dive into a topic that has become uh, something that I started studying this, I'm going to be real honest, a very, very dear sister in the Lord, one of my closest sisters in Christ, uh, called me one day and she said, God is revealing something to me. And she shared a deep revelation that God had shared with her about a haughty spirit. And when she shared this with me, I immediately was captivated. And I took what she gave me and then I started studying and I started digging in. And then I would call her and she would call me and we would go back and forth and back and forth sharing things that God was showing us and what he was revealing to us. And this has been going on for close to a year now. And 
To be honest, I had thought about ministering it quite some time ago, but I'm really, really glad that I didn't because I still, honestly, I don't feel qualified to minister on it now. So what I'm sharing with you is what I've learned thus far, and I continue to learn. I was driving driving to the gym on Monday, and a thing came to my mind. I was like, oh, that's a haughty spirit. <laughs> didn't even know that. Okay, so... I'm continuing once you, once you recognize it and see how it works, then you can begin to recognize it and see how, see how it tries to influence. And when I say that, it's not, you know, there's some people that sat here last week and thought, well, I wish that so-and-so was here because they really need to hear this. do. We need to hear it. I'm sure there are people in your life, the person sitting next to you right now, if you're married and your spouse is sitting next to you or you're married and your spouse isn't here, like, gosh, dog it, wish they were here today because they really need this. (laughs) So this is something that I feel like uh, I had more feedback and comments on this message and people contacting me than I have any other message than I can, like, I don't remember the last time I had so much feedback on a message, not, not people complaining or anything like that. It was people like, okay, well, what is about this? Or, you know, this is what I see and gosh, I've experienced this. And so it's been, it's been really cool because then every time I hear more, I learn more. And so I'm a constant student of the word. I love to continue growing and learning. So last week we dropped off in a scripture out of Proverbs 16 in verse 18. And it says this, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And as I was digging in and studying, I really had to, for myself, come to a distinction between pride and a haughty spirit. I I wanted to have a very clear understanding, the distinction between the two, because they're two different words in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And so as I dug in, the distinction that was uh, clear for me is pride is... Uh, very simply an elevation of yourself, uh, a person who is prideful or carries a prideful spirit. They simply elevate themselves. It's a raising up of oneself and a haughty spirit is pride, but going to the place of raising oneself up above others that the haughty spirit causes a person to raise themselves to a place to where they look down on other people for various reasons and in different uh, ways, but it causes a person to think that they are better than other people. So elevating oneself above others for various reasons. And a haughty spirit will deceptively justify not walking in love because the actions of another are unlovely. And it finds a reason, well, they're acting like this, and because they're acting like this, then I have justification in judging them. Because their actions are unlovely. So when we step into a place of judging someone, then our actions become unlovely. So if you want to hear more about that, last week, that's what we talked about. Um, so... As I was studying and going this week, I sensed God share this with me is that, uh, well, I'll, I'll say this to you. You can get a peek into our world. Darren and I have been watching, uh, 
Netflix documentaries. I don't know if any of you are into documentaries. We're those people that watch PBS and watch <laughs> documentaries on PBS. Our kids will be like, oh my gosh, you guys are not even 80 yet. So <laughs> apparently you're supposed to be a certain age before you watch PBS documentaries. But we like to watch documentaries. I like to learn. I like to, I like history. My husband knows more information about history than one should know. And if you want to know a random fact that nobody else knows, just come and ask Darren because he just knows stuff. So anyway, we have been watching these uh, documentaries and there's a couple that I'm particularly just really learning a lot and it's about football and we love college football. Darren introduced me into the passion and the love of college football and whenever OU and Texas Tech are playing in our home, it's kind of a tense day, but more so if OU is getting beat then I need all of you to pray for my marriage, okay? <laughs> so when college season rolls back around again, you're going to know if OU is getting beat in any game, all of you should pray. They'll never get beat by Texas Tech, he says. <laughs> Pretty much true. <laughs> anyway, so this is what I sense God share with me this week is that a haughty spirit can cause people to be placed on the injured reserve list. The injured reserve list is where a player is still on the team. They're still on the roster, but they are not taking up space as an active player on the field. They are injured reserve. There's something that has happened. They're injured in some way of injury in their body that is causing them to not be able to participate in the game. And so what I sensed God share with me was that there are people in my body who, because of a haughty spirit, have been placed on the injured reserve list, meaning they're still saved. They're still, you know, going to heaven. They are part of the team. They're part of the body of Christ. However, they're not an active participant and they don't get to enjoy the victories that are shared by the team because they're having to experience the victories sitting on the sideline knowing that they were not an active part of the victory. So therefore, they're watching it all happen, but they're not getting the joy and the fulfillment of being able to be part of helping the team move the ball down the field and score the points. They're watching it all happen and they want to be part of it, probably even pray for it. But because of the haughty spirit, they're not able to be used and utilized and played by the team. Now, here's the thing that I also sensed was God saying it's not him that puts people on the injured reserve list most of the time. It's people putting themselves on there. God does not remove you from the game. You remove yourself. You sideline yourself with a haughty spirit watching from the sidelines and not being a contributor. You're limited in the ability to fulfill God's purpose, not because God is limiting you, but because you're limiting yourself because we're partnering with the wrong spirit. And this is what I said last week is the haughty spirit is so difficult to put a finger on or to confront in yourself or in someone else because the haughty spirit uses the word of God, uses scripture to justify its position of judgment of others. So it's very hard to combat. 
And the enemy knows that. He does that on purpose. Because if the enemy can seduce someone with a haughty spirit, he knows that you place yourself on the injured reserve list. And by putting yourself on the injured reserve list, you really are limited in your contribution to the team. It's kind of like, well, as a matter of fact, yesterday we went to watch a little guy's uh, basketball game. I, and they're like little. They dribble the ball like up above their head and then they stop and get control of the ball and then dribble the ball again. There's so many travels and double dribbles happening. It's just like off the chain and it's the best free entertainment ever. And one at one point in the game, one of the little players took off with the ball like running. Nobody was stopping her because she's running to score a point at the wrong end. And that's what happens when we are in the game with an injure with an injury of the haughty spirit as we begin scoring points against our own team. We start running the wrong direction because we're partnering with the wrong spirit all the while thinking that we're doing big things for God. A really good example, I'm not going to go there today, but if you want to look it up yourself, the story of Paul, who is a writer of three, three quarters about of the New Testament. Paul started out as Saul of Tarsus and was an extreme persecutor of the followers of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't until he had an encounter with the spirit of God and that blinded him and he had to go humbly. He was humbled. Talk about being humbled. He was humbled and had to go to one of the people that he had deeply persecuted in order to be restored. Paul is an excellent, excellent example of a haughty spirit because he thought he was doing God's work. Fully convinced that he was doing God's work. And all the while he was persecuting the very people that Jesus Christ had come to save. So that's one example of the haughty spirit. Psalm 101 in verse 5 says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. See, God knows That if a person has a haughty spirit and is being led by that spirit, he knows that that person will cause further injury to themselves and to other people. A haughty spirit hurts people. And you know, when you're, uh, I don't know if in, in, if you're playing, uh, sport and you have an injury, you tend to compensate for that injury. And in compensating for that injury, you can actually cause further injury to another part of your body because your body's compensating for the injured part of your body. Well, a haughty spirit does the same thing. As we begin to compensate for the haughty spirit and then can cause further injury to ourselves. And then when we are trying to maneuver and trying to operate in the body with a haughty spirit, we actually cause injury to other people because we're injured ourselves. You ever, I mean, that's an old, old term, hurting people hurt people. I remember my mom saying that to me when I was a little kid, trying to explain why people were mean. We're hurting people hurt people. I didn't understand it then. I understand a little better now. But that's true. And the haughty spirit is an injury. It's a wound. It's something that is not of God. But God knows that and that it can cause another person, a person who is being led by the haughty spirit, can cause injury to another person that could have eternal effects. It's that big. 
It's that deep and it's that dangerous. So it's very good to identify it and to be able to know about it. Here's the thing, though, is if we sideline ourselves with a haughty spirit, we will still be fully accountable for everything that God created us for. Just because we've been injured and we chose to follow the wrong spirit, God doesn't say, well, bless your little heart then. You just get a free pass. No. (laughs) The Bible tells us that the giftings and callings of God are irrevocable. And we will still be accountable for everything that God has called us to do, all the while injuring other people. But yet God knows what he created you for. So if we don't recognize the activity and the influence and the deception of a haughty spirit, it will cause us to further injure ourselves and to injure other people with possible eternal ramifications. So the longer a person, this is something that I have found, is that a longer a person is sidelined, With a haughty spirit, the harder their heart becomes and the more difficult it is to be able to identify. So the longer it sits there and the longer a person justifies it being there, the harder their heart becomes to being able to recognize, hey, I'm actually scoring points for the wrong team. I'm actually running the ball in the wrong direction because they're fully convinced that that's what they want to do. (laughs) But here's the deal is we want to experience God, don't we? We want to in our services when we come here. I don't, I don't just come here to sing and just see and hug everybody. I come here on Sunday mornings with an expectations of miracles, signs, and wonders. I expect that when people are engaging in worship, I expect that when people come onto the parking lot, that God is already ministering to them. I expect that during worship, that physical healings will happen in the auditorium. I expect that people's hearts are set free from whatever oppression that they're experiencing. I expect that the spirit of God meets people at the doors through our greeters, through the coffee bar, through everything that's happening here. I expect that the spirit of God is fully free to move and to operate. I don't just come here because we're supposed to be in church once a week for an hour and a half. I come with the expectation of encountering God. I want to see God move. I want to see him. If somebody needs healing, if somebody needs to experience God, if somebody needs to feel his love, a tangible expression of God's love, I pray and I expect for this to happen. I hope all of you do as well. And as much as we want to see God move, as much as we want to experience that, a haughty spirit will put a cap on what God can do. Because a haughty spirit will qualify and disqualify what God is able to do based upon judging other people. And a haughty spirit will take the glory. And whenever God moves, God will not share his glory with anyone. He will place his glory on someone, but he will not stand for another person taking the glory. It is God's glory. His presence cannot be separated from his glory. And if a person with a haughty spirit wants to exalt themselves into the place of God, God cannot move there. It is so important. It is so important. Can I emphasize that anymore? Look at your neighbor and say, she said it's really important. (laughs) 
So I wanted to give you just a few. There's so much more that could be said. There's so much more that we could say about this. And I just have a short period of time to share this with you. And so I encourage whatever you get from this to take it and ask God to multiply it. Let this be a seed. Let this just be the seed of the beginning of what God can show you and reveal to you. But I wanted to just give you a few symptoms because when we talk about the haughty spirit, if you don't know how deceptive it is, you think, you think, hey, I'm doing the Lord's work. And all the while you're taking off with the ball in the wrong direction down the field. So one of the symptoms, I want to give you just a few symptoms of a haughty spirit, the way that it acts, some ways that it can do. One of the symptoms is uh, a haughty spirit will cause a person to carry weight for other people that they were not created or qualified to carry. And it can seem really noble. One of the things that it does is that it carries a weight for other people's potential. And you can see... How many, how many times have Darren and I said this, man, they would be such a good Christian. <laughs> we don't say it anymore because who wouldn't, who wouldn't be a good Christian, right? Like, oh man, that would be so cool to see them in the body of Christ. They would be so good. Yeah, everyone would, right? It would be great, <laughs> but it will cause you to carry weight for other people's potential that you were not created or qualified to carry. It will cause you to try and be Jesus for someone. It will cause you to try to be somebody's savior. And here's the thing is we are not Jesus. A haughty spirit will convince you that you are. (laughs) You are not responsible to save anyone else. You are completely and totally called and responsible to represent Jesus to someone else and to lead them to the father, but you cannot save them. You will want to save them out of their addiction. You will want to save them out of a bad relationship. You will want to save them out of bad choices, but you can not save them. But a haughty spirit will put you into a place where you then become responsible for their salvation and their choices. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't do that anymore. (laughs) Yes. Um, The other thing is that a haughty spirit in not being qualified to do that is that the other, it works in, in two ways. In one way, it seems really noble, but then it will also cause you to carry a weight and responsibility for people's choices to where a haughty spirit will start controlling people. If you can't get them to follow you and act right, then you're going to make them do it. And it creates a really toxic environment. There's um, pastors of churches that have fallen into this. That you know as a pastor what people should be doing. And by Bakali, if they're not going to do it, then I am going to put shame and guilt on them. And I'm going to control them into doing it because I know what is best. Right? So here's the revelation that I got also is that a haughty spirit will tell you as a parent that you know what your kids should be doing because I birthed them. I know what is best for them. I know where they should be. I know what they should be doing and I know what they are called to do. I'm not God. As a parent, we are not God. We want to be, we want to lock them in their basement when they start doing stupid stuff, right? It would be a whole lot easier. Just lock them away until they learn. I'm not God, but I am as close to as you're going to get. 
<laughs> we are not Jesus and we are not the Holy Spirit. We cannot control people's choices. I try to tell Darren all the time, I would be such a good Holy Spirit for you. Because <laughs> I know what he should do, right? When we look at other people and we think we know what they should be doing, if they would only make the choices that I think that they should make, like we never have that conversation in our head, but we do have the conversation, why are they so stupid? And why do they keep making the same mistake over and over and over again? But you're not the Holy Spirit. You're not put here to guide people. You're not put here to be their comforter, to be their protector. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So no more can you save them. You cannot be their Holy Spirit and you cannot be God for them. You cannot control. There is a place where the haughty spirit will use a spirit of fear to try to control and manipulate other people out of fear. And it will justify it because of the message of fear. That's a whole nother message, but we'll just leave that right there. The haughty spirit will tell you that it is your job to be the word police. It is your job and you are here on this earth to make sure that everybody else is applying the word of God correctly. And if they are not, if they are not applying scripture the way that I believe, the way that my theology, because my doctrine is the best because it's mine. And if they're not applying the word of God, the way that I think they should apply the word of God, then they are doing it wrong. And it's my job to tell them so. There's people that that's their whole ministry. Literally. They have radio talk shows and podcasts to tell everybody how other ministers are doing it wrong. (laughs) I believe those people probably have a really, really important calling and they have put themselves on the injured reserve list and now they make it their whole life job, I guess, to just be the police of the church. Yeah. Amen. Lynette. (laughs) Uh, Here's the thing is correction is best done through relationship. If you don't have a relationship with somebody, probably not going to be a God call for you to go and correct that person. Now there's exceptions, but more times than not, you have to earn the right to offend someone. People are not going to want to hear what you say just because you think that what you have to say is really important. People have to trust you before they're going to open up their heart to change the way that they think before they're going to change their actions. And you just walking up to somebody, a haughty spirit thinking, hey, it's my job to tell that person that they're not doing this right. That that is not what the word of God means. If you don't have relationship with them, you're probably just casting your pearls before a swine. And I'm not calling that person a swine. But what I'm saying is you get the picture. You're you're putting things in front of somebody that they're not going to be able to receive. They're not going to receive. So you need to really be sensitive to the Holy Spirit on whether or not it's your job to bring correction to someone. And if you don't have relationship with them and you've not earned the right to speak into their life that way, you're probably going to cause more damage than good. So, but a haughty spirit will tell you, boy, I better get over there and bring correction to that. Um, 
The haughty spirit will question the qualification of others to partner with the Holy Spirit. Here's how that looks. Is you have a person come into church and they've only been here for a week. They just got saved. I mean, they're so freshly saved that they're still wet behind the ears. And they come up front and God uses them and heals somebody right in front of everybody. I have been sitting in this church for 20 years and God ain't never used me to heal nobody. Who do they think they are? It's because that person is so fresh. They don't know enough to even think about being haughty. (laughs) They're just like, God is awesome. (laughs) But we can look at somebody else and a haughty spirit will cause us to qualify or disqualify a person based upon what we perceive their holiness thermometer to be. And let me tell you what, I really feel like this is important because we are positioned to see what the Bible calls the end time harvest. And that means that there's going to be a huge fluctuation of people coming in that don't look like us. They don't smell like us. They don't act like us. I say us as all of us polished church people. Because we know how to dress, we know how to act, we fight on the way to church, but we know how to put on a really good smile before we get out of the car in the parking lot. Now you kids, just just suck it up and get in there and act right. Right? Right? How many? Don't raise your hands, but how many cars was that on the way to church? Get in the car, we're going to be late for church! And love people! <laughs> but these... This end time harvest that's coming in, we have to be ready to embrace who God is bringing and a haughty spirit will cause us to shut them down before they ever get started. It's our job to welcome them, even though they look different and act different and they may smell different. That's okay. We love them. Whatever's on them is not going to get on us. We don't have to worry about it. But what's on us can get all over them. The love of God. We will have the opportunity to be offended by that. (laughs) The other symptom of a haughty spirit. And the reason that I can share this one with you is because I used to do it. I have learned. Praise God. But here's a good one. Is claiming to be black and white. Well, I'm just really black and white. Sure. I used to say it. I'm really black and white. And if they're not, if they're not following along the word the way they should, cause I'm black and white, the let your yes be yes and your no be no. Cause the scripture says that. And I'm black and white. What that is, is that is a justification to judge other people for not acting the way you think they should act. It's a justification for judging people who are still walking it out. And we think, well, I'm, I've learned that and they should know better. We've talked about that last week. The minute that comes up, they should know better. Oh, that's the haughty spirit. That's that's a big key for the haughty spirit. But claiming to be black and white, it uses as a justification to condemn others and to justify harsh judgments as a reaction. That is way easier than pressing into the discipline of love. It is way easier to play the black and white card on somebody than it is to press into the love of God on the inside of you and love them when they are rolling around. Amen. Love it. 
Because sometimes you think, well, I shouldn't have to love them when they're acting like that. But we do. Their actions do not change our call. Nobody else's actions in your life changes your call. Nobody else's actions in your life changes the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit does not change. And the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is always calling you to love. Do you love the sin? No, you don't love the sin, but you absolutely love the person. You don't have to love everything that they're doing, but you love the person. So here's a very interesting scripture, Romans chapter 2. In the Passion Translation, starting in verse 1, says this, No matter who you are, before you judge the wickedness of others, you would better remember this. You are also without excuse, for you too are guilty of the same kind of things. When you judge others and then do the same thing they do, you condemn yourself. We know that God's judgment falls upon those who practice these things. God is always right because he has all the facts. And no matter who you think you are, when you judge others who do these things and then do the same thing yourself, what makes you think that you will escape God's judgment? Do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted and despise him? Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance? But because of your calloused heart and refusal to change direction, you're piling up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. For he will give to each one in return what he has done. Here's what I've learned. I still have to check myself up in it. When I say this, don't, (laughs) I still, I realize I'm being a little legalistic right there. But here's what I've learned is that I do not have all of the information to be able to be black and white. I know what the word of God says. And the word of God does not change. It doesn't change based on situation or a person's past. The word of God is the word of God, but I do not know the end from the beginning and I do not know what God is working out. I see what's in front of me and that's all I see. And that is all I know. So therefore the only one who can be black and white is God. And I do not want to stand in the position of judging God's judgment. That's where black and white will get you. There's an interesting, I'm not going to go there just for sake of time, but in John chapter eight, I'm going to just read one little uh, verse for you in a minute, but there's an interesting story in John chapter eight, and it's the account of Jesus uh, having a woman brought to him by the legalistic people of the day, all of the people who would have been carrying a haughty spirit around. And they bring this woman to him and they throw her down in front of him. And they say in verse four, they say to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that we should be, that we should stone her. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something to which accuse him. 
They caught her in the very act. This is a whole nother message for another time. There was, if they caught her in the very act, there was somebody else involved. Where was the dude, right? This is, this has always been something, whole nother message. So we're just going to go on, but they bring this woman to Jesus and they throw her in front of him. I mean, if you can imagine the scene and what they're doing is they're looking for Jesus to create gray. To compromise, because the word is very clear. Moses' law is black and white, and it says that if a person commits adultery, that they should be stoned to death. Black and white. Boom! Jesus seemingly blurs the line, because he bends down and starts doodling in the dirt. And he says to the crowd of black and white around him, he says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And then he bends down and starts doodling in the dirt again. And one by one, each one of the people turns and walks away. He looks up at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they've all gone, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Did he excuse her sin? No. He told her, don't do that anymore. Look at your name and say, don't do that anymore. But seemingly to us, Jesus just created a gray area because he didn't do the law. However, Jesus knows the whole story. Jesus knows the end from the beginning. Jesus knows what God has done and is going to do in this woman's life. He knows where he's taking her. See, the same thing would seem to happen with the woman with the issue of blood that came into town. It was illegal for her to be in town. Then it was further illegal for her to have any contact, to make physical contact with anyone, because she was considered to be unclean. And in that time, if you were unclean, if you touched someone else, then they were made unclean. So they would make a community for all of these unclean people. And it was illegal against the law for them to come into town and to make other people unclean but yet here comes this woman with the issue of blood and she comes and not only touches someone else she comes into a whole crowd of people and dares to touch the messiah and when she touches the messiah he feels healing virtue go out of his body not condemnation not sending her to hell not stoning her to death however he feels a healing power come out of her and says who touched me and This woman daring to stand up and say, it was me who touched you, knew that at that moment that she faced the very possibility of being put to death. Yet Jesus then said to her, your faith has made you whole. He did not condemn her. He did not kill her on the spot. Gray. What the heck? Then there's the woman who came to anoint Jesus' feet with the bottle of perfume. She comes into the mix of all of these men gathered together to eat. She should not have been there. Then she goes to Jesus' feet and pours out her oil on Jesus' feet in this beautiful act of sacrificial worship to her Savior, to her Jesus. And she's so overwhelmed with emotion that she begins to cry and her tears begin to fall on 
Jesus' feet, making a muddy mess on his feet. And as she does that, she lets down her hair because she's so embarrassed that she is crying and making a mess on her Savior's feet. And as she lets down her hair, an act that was illegal. And for this woman who was the lowest in society, for Jesus to allow her to come into this gathering of men and for Jesus to allow her to come and to do something as degrading as touch his feet. Does he not know what manner of woman this is? And he's allowing her to touch his feet. And now she's let down her hair in front of all of these men. Another act that was illegal. And she washes and wipes Jesus's feet with her hair. Gray. Black and white, she shouldn't have done that. Gray. To you and I. To God, not at all. To God, there's no, there's no compromise there. Because God knows the end from the beginning. God is the only one who knows the end from the beginning. I no longer say, I am black and white. Because there's a whole lot of stuff that I don't know. And when God is working something out and somebody else, I don't know where he's going with it. I might look at them and they're a hot mess right now, but I don't know where they've been. And I don't know where God is taking them. I can partner with the spirit of discernment and a word of knowledge if I'm walking in love. But if I'm in a haughty spirit, God can't use me that way because I've sidelined myself. On the injured reserve list. Our scripture. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. See we have to remember that this is a spirit. And what this spirit does. Is it's looking for a place to come to land. So when we have these thoughts. We need to recognize as born again believers. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. But there are demonic spirits. All over. And these demonic spirits are looking for somewhere to land. They're looking for somebody to, if you can picture it this way, there was a book that I read years and years ago by Rick Joyner called The Call, right? Or no, The Final Quest. The the Call is another one in the series, but the book is called The Final Quest and it's his recording of a vision. And this is the picture that I want to paint for you. Is that the haughty spirit, if you can imagine it as being like a vulture, And what it's doing is it's looking for a Christian to come and land on their shoulder and to sit on their shoulder and that haughty spirit, that vulture sitting on a Christian's shoulder begins to defecate on them. And this vulture, what do vultures do? But they eat and pick apart dead things. So this vulture sitting on a Christian's shoulder is looking for other wounded Christians to begin to eat on. And that haughty spirit being carried by a Christian is becomes a host to carry a way to wound other people in the body of Christ. All the while, it's feeding on the very person that's carrying it. It causes injury to you and the person carrying it. So here's Darren and I were talking this week, and here was the distinction that Darren made. As he says, you know, the haughty spirit can be pictured as a vulture coming to land on somebody, but the Holy Spirit came as a dove. So you get to make the choice. Do you want the vulture of the haughty spirit or do you want the dove of the Holy Spirit? We get to choose. 
And when we understand how the haughty spirit operates and how it deceives and how it manipulates, we can disagree with the message of a haughty spirit and agree with the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's totally our choice. But if we don't know how it works and what it's doing, we can be deceived into thinking that we're really going big guns for God and all the while we're running the ball in the wrong direction. So I have a little formula for you. This is a, I'm a visual person. So this is the visual that God gave me. So if you can, Brad, go ahead and put that up is the humility plus the fear of God to the exponential power of love will bring freedom from the haughty spirit. I wasn't real good at math, but I remember that. Do you remember that? The, what do you call that? The X, X, what is it? That. (laughs) So we thank you. (laughs) When you take humility and add the fear of God to it, and then exponentially multiply it by love, you will defeat the haughty spirit. And it won't it won't lead you, and you won't be a host for it anymore. So let's look just really quickly at a couple of scriptures. Uh, Psalms 18 and 27 says, For you will save the humble person, and but will bring down the haughty looks. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Humility, let me just put it this way. Humility simply says, I'm not above anyone, especially the God who made me. Humility doesn't cause you to think less of who you are. Humility sees you through the eyes of God, but humility puts us in a place where we don't think that we are better than anyone else. We're humble. And the next one is the fear of God. And we read this last week, Romans 11, uh, 19 says, you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in speaking of the olive tree. And he's saying that, uh, well said because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches, speaking of the cultivated olive tree, which is Israel, his people, he may not spare you either. It is the fear of God. Humility recognizing that I am not above anyone else, especially the God who made me, and then walking in the fear of God, which very simply, you, it's it's kind of a hard thing because we know that we're not supposed to have a, sphere, a, a spirit of fear, but how do I fear God without having a spirit of fear in the way that I'm not supposed to? But it's very simple when you think of it in the way of reverence and awe. That we are to always to have a reverential respect for the power of God. The thing that comes to me is uh, a gun. Is That gun doesn't even have bullets in it maybe, but I still would not ever point it at myself or at someone else. Because I have a reverential respect for the power that is that is capable in that gun. Even if it doesn't have bullets in it, I just respect it. That's the way we are with God. In the same way that we would never put ourselves above the God who made us in reverence and in awe of God, we recognize his excellence and his power, and we would never suppose to take the place of God. That we are not qualified to sit on his throne. When I was growing up, my dad had a chair. My, you know, every daddy had a chair. And if daddy wasn't home, then we would sit in his chair. 
because it was, of course, the biggest and most comfy chair. But if daddy was home, whether he was in the room or not, we did not sit in his chair because that was daddy's chair. It's the same way when Darren in our house, when we got married and had kids, I taught our kids, that's daddy's chair. You don't sit in daddy's chair. When daddy comes in the room, you better get your little hiney out of that chair because that's daddy's chair. Why? Because we give him honor. He's the, he's the father of our home. He's the head of our household. So we honor him. We give him preference. So humility, the fear of the Lord to the power of love. Romans chapter five says this, if you want to go ahead and come up Romans chapter five, starting in verse three, even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressure will develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refuse, will refine our character and proving character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person. We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there's still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still sinners, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we're at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will be rescued from sin's dominion? We can have the dove of the Holy Spirit or the vulture of the haughty spirit. It's our choice. So a couple of weeks ago, Darren gave us the eight R's to the pathway of freedom of sin and knowing that this is a spirit. And so when you have these thoughts and when these things come to you, think of it as a vulture sitting on your shoulder, whispering these things to you. And all you have to do is very simply first recognize that this is a vulture of a haughty spirit sitting on me, sending these messages to me. This is not me. I am born again, spirit filled. I have the love of God on the inside of me and the love of God has been poured into me to pour out. So when I hear these messages and these judgmental conversations of a haughty spirit, I recognize that it is not me. And secondly, I take responsibility. I own the, I own it that I have done that. I've been guilty of that. I have participated. I have been an active carrier of a vulture. I have wounded other people. So I take ownership of it. I take responsibility for it. I don't excuse it. I take responsibility for it. And then I repent. Very simply, I change direction. I determine to say, I will not partner with that vulture anymore. I decide right now I'm not partnering with a haughty spirit anymore. And then the thing that Darren said, number four, he said to renounce. 
It means to declare disagreement with it. So right now I want to pause right here. And if you know that a haughty spirit is something that has come at you and that you feel like I have carried a vulture around, I know that I have, and you want to disagree with that and you want that gone and you don't want to participate in that anymore, I want you right now to determine that I am recognizing this. I see how this operates. I see the different ways that it speaks and I'll continue to learn about it. And right now I want to renounce that in my life. It's very simply saying, I do not agree with a haughty spirit. I do not agree with the way that a haughty spirit speaks and I will not move with a haughty spirit. And I want to invite you, if you know that this is something that you battle with, there is no shame in recognizing it and repenting of it. And if you know that this is something that has been a battle for you, I invite you to stand right now. And as we renounce that together, I want to ask you right now, if you will, either within yourself, I know I really do. I feel like it needs to be out loud. You don't have to yell it. You can just very simply say, I renounce a haughty spirit and I do not agree with that in my life and I will not be a carrier of it anymore. I will not host a vulture of a haughty spirit anymore. So just do that right now where you're at. Then we remove, the minute that we do that, we remove the power of it. And as we remove that power right now, I want to invite you to put a hand (laughs) on your shoulder and one hand on your gut. Say, Holy Spirit, everywhere that a haughty spirit has tried to influence me or speak to me, I welcome the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. I welcome the dove. I welcome your presence. I welcome your Holy Spirit to lead me and to guide me. And in doing that, we remove the power of the haughty spirit and we replace it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we do that, remember that the haughty spirit is going to try to come back. It's going to try to talk to you. But you know how they were acting. You were right in telling them off the way that you did. You are right in locking your children in the basement until they can agree with everything that you want them to do. So we resist when the haughty spirit comes back because we recognize it now and we recognize the way that it tries to deceive us and speak to us. So we resist it in the future and we rejoice in the freedom from the haughty spirit because God has restored us. Father, in the name of Jesus, for everyone who is receiving freedom from a haughty spirit, Lord, I declare in the name of Jesus Christ that we are here to be your body to love. We are here to be your people. And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that if there was anyone who was on the injured reserved list, Father, that right now you bring full healing and restoration to us that we can be put back in, that we declare ourselves, that we are part of the team of God. We are part of the body of Christ and we are active contributors in what you are doing and how you are moving God. And we say, Lord, that we give you all the glory. We are not Jesus. We are not the Holy Spirit and we are not God, but we want to partner with you in what you're doing, that miracles, signs and wonders could flow through us, that everywhere we go, Father, that you have full reign and freedom to move and to to speak and to operate in the way that you would like, Father. We thank you for that. (coughs) Is 
place there. Uh, just stay where you're at in that. And if you have never made Jesus Christ, if you have never taken hold of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to do that right now. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. I invite you into every nook and cranny, into every ugly place and every beautiful place. You can be seated if you would like. Is there anyone here that has an esophageal is esophageal issue? Am I saying that right? Esophageal? Is there somebody here who has an esophageal issue? Yes. Uh, I believe that God is, can, so can you raise your hand again? Can somebody from our prayer team go right now and stand around this woman? I don't even know what that is, but I heard that this morning coming to church. And so whatever is going on with you right now uh, in your esophagus, Father, in the name of Jesus, if our prayer team would just uh, put their hands on this sweet sister. Father, in Jesus' name, I declare that the way that you made your daughter is perfect. And we speak over her esophagus right now for complete, total restoration, for healing, and for you to make her perfect with nothing missing and nothing broken. Perfect shalom over her esophagus and all um, uh, health issues related to that father we speak healing over that right now in jesus name and we command her esophagus to be healed in the name of jesus christ made whole with nothing missing and nothing broken in jesus name amen amen uh does the name montgomery mean anything to anybody is that anybody's name montgomery okay uh what is what is that? Okay, well, I felt like God said that uh, Montgomery is positioned exactly where they're supposed to be. And I see a lantern for Montgomery, and I see that there is a pole out in front of Montgomery and this lantern is hanging on the end of this pole and that uh, it feels like there is a darkness between the light of the lantern and where Montgomery is walking because the pole seems to be extended out and so there's a sphere of light but there's a darkness between the light and where his feet actually are and what I'm sensing is God uh, encouraging Montgomery to trust him to keep moving forward and the more that he keeps moving forward what he's actually going to find is that he steps into the light and becomes part of the light so not to be discouraged by the darkness that he sees between him and the light in front of him but to just keep walking and God is going to bring all those things that concern him together and to not worry about it but to trust God with it and keep walking that's really really important that he keep walking and he's going to find himself in the light so if you could pass that on to my Montgomery for us today. Father, we thank you for Montgomery and we speak encouragement over him. We pray your blessing over his life and over his relationships and we thank you for his brother Travis that would care for him and Father, we thank you for your word of life being spoken over him in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Is there a Joseph in the room? Is there a Joseph here? You 
Is your is your is that part of your name? Ah, good to know. <laughs> Thank you, Father. JC, there's not anything about you that God doesn't know. And there's not anything missing for you. That God has perfectly and strategically organized everything about your life to have you where he wants you to be. And you are such an obedient servant of his. You are so faithful to him, JC. And you trust him even when it doesn't make sense. And I believe that God is going to uh, move you into a place where it's going to require you to trust him even more because the adventure you've been on is nothing compared to what he's getting ready to take you on now. And the things that you've desired to see God do, he's getting ready to do that right in front of your very eyes, but it is going to require that you step into a next level of trust with him. And so he calls you, Joseph, to trust him and to step into that next level of trust to experience what you've dreamed about JC so get ready (laughs) amen father we thank you for our brother JC and for what you're doing in his life and God that he will share the testimony with us of what miraculous things that you do for him in Jesus name amen Amen. Amen. Uh, Kaylee, if something was spoken that encouraged you, if there was a word that God shared with somebody that encouraged you, take a hold of that and let that word encourage you and in, in wherever you're at and in your walk right now as well. So receive that in Jesus name. And I'm going to ask Kayleen to come up here. She's got some really cool uh, things coming up that you're going to want to know about.